Our scriptures this morning are taken from the first chapter of the book of Acts, and we will begin to read at verse 1. Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going up. When suddenly two men dressed in white stood before them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Up, up and away. I'm sure that in 1967, when Jimmy Webb wrote this song, that he did not realize that these very words describe a major Bible theme. And I borrow that title as the title of my sermon. But the similarities between the song and my sermon stop right there. But my message today deals with one of the most astonishing events that transpired in the life of Jesus Christ. We call it the Ascension. And I bring this message with the conviction that many Christians have very little practical or theological understanding of the importance of the Ascension. Many of the Christians that I know... Understand the significance of the incarnation of Christ. The miracle by which God himself became man. Emmanuel. And many of us would understand the significance of the crucifixion. And how Jesus took upon himself our sins upon the cross. And he purchased a home in heaven that he offers as a free gift. And most Christians that I know have a firm grasp of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That after three days in the tomb, 
that Jesus rose bodily from the grave as a demonstration of his victory over death and the guarantee that you and I would one day be raised from the dead. But if I ask this morning, how many of us could articulate an understanding of the significance of the ascension? Could we? Well, it's a remarkable story that deserves our attention. And I want to say that everything that I'm going to give you this morning starts with one simple and profound truth. That Jesus actually ascended bodily into heaven. This was no vision. It was not a dream. Jesus ascended into heaven. And we recognize this. Not only because the Bible teaches it, as it certainly does. But our creeds say it as well. That he ascended into heaven. And he sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And there he will come to judge the living and the dead. And the first thing that I want us to do is to just take a look at the story of the ascension itself. As it is recorded in Acts chapter 1. And what I want us to see is that there is something spectacular that is going on here. It is an amazing drama. It took place 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus had been ministering and teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And on that particular day, there seemed to be nothing out of the ordinary. All of a sudden, without warning, something totally unexpected takes place that dazzles the imagination. Here, the disciples sitting at the feet of Jesus, as they had done so many times, they see a spectacle, the likes of which they would never forget. And it's described in very simple terms in verse 9. It says, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Now, I know some of you may be looking at me right now as we read this passage and think that this sounds like some child's fairy tale. But I can assure you that before we can ever make any sense out of this occurrence, that we must understand that we are looking at an event in history, something that really happened to Jesus. And I want us to see that it happened for a powerful reason. And I want to discover that reason this morning. In his book on a wild and windy mountain, Will Williman tells the story that took place in New Haven, Connecticut in 1970 when he was a student at Yale University. You may remember that this was a very turbulent time in the history of our country. There was a great deal of strife and violence. And during the week of the famous Black Panther trials in New Haven, Connecticut, 
it seemed that the crisis reached a peak. Crisis and anarchy seemed to reign. And it was there in that setting that Willimon attended a choral mass at a nearby Catholic church. And there the boys' choir sang a piece called Deus Ascendit, which translated means God has ascended. Of course, taken from Acts chapter 1. And as Willimon listened to this music, he began to muse about the meaning of the story and these words. And here's what he wrote. Just as you might expect, God has gone up. Isn't that typical of him? He runs far away from the angry mob that shouts in the street. Away from the gunfire or the police and the revolutionaries. God, it seems, has taken a leave of absence. Well, isn't it true that often when you and I face life-altering circumstances, it might seem that God is running. We may be tempted to believe that God has actually abandoned his world. You call and you don't seem to get an answer. You pray, but you don't see the expected results. And for all that you can tell, your life is in order, your priorities are right, you're a committed family person, you're involved in church, you serve, you give, you worship. But when you need him, God seems to be far away. So is he really on the throne? Is he really in control? Does he really have a plan for you and for me and for our eternity together? What do we see when we look around in the world? We see so much immorality and violence and greed. We see a world that seems to have been turned completely upside down. Evil is called good and good is called evil. And many believe that if there is a God at all, he must live in some distant galaxy unencumbered with the daily affairs that we must face. And so I believe it's a fair question to say, how do we understand these circumstances that we face in the light of our Christian faith? Isn't it true that everywhere the Bible calls God sovereign, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, that he works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Yes, it's true. So what's going on? What is God doing? Sometimes it just doesn't make sense. So I want to say in this world of violence and war and disease and addictions and brokenness of every conceivable imagination... Comes the powerful message of the ascension. And the message of the ascension is a message of hope and encouragement. That when the tragic events that unfold around us. Tempt us to diminish or weaken our faith. So what is this message? 
The message is this. That Christ has indeed gone. But not to forsake us. He is gone. And he has ascended to the right hand of God. To rule and to take charge. He ascended. To put all things under his feet. Christ ascended. Not to run. But to reign. So what we have here is far more than just a fascinating science fiction kind of story. It's an event that lies at the very heart and core of the story of redemption. It is the truth that Jesus reigns and that his kingdom stands forever. Now I want to take a minute And go down one little side road that I believe will help put this in better perspective. I want us to see that there are really two sides to the gospel. The first I would call the individual side. This is when an individual, man, woman, or child, comes to realize the danger of his sinful estate. That he or she stands under the judgment of God. And only through the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit is he or she made aware of the love of Christ for sinners. And that by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, he or she is drawn into a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And is delivered from darkness to light. But I want to say that there is another side to the gospel. And it deals not just with the individual's salvation. But it is a cosmic victory. It is a victory of Jesus over the forces of darkness. For when Jesus died on the cross, his death not only achieved achieved our personal salvation, but it achieved a victory in the cosmic realm. It achieved the defeat of Satan. And this is what we're looking at when we see the message of the ascension. So I want us to get a closer look at what the ascension accomplished. And what it says to you and to me today. So I'm going to take you on a brief, a very brief tour of several passages that reveal the power of the ascension. This is what the Bible teaches. And when it seems to you and to me that God is afar off. And when he's not living up to his promises. That we do well to get a fresh vision of the ascended Christ. And when we do, here's what we find. Jesus ascended to a throne of honor at the right hand of Almighty God. And I remember several years ago when I was doing a personal study on the kingdom of God. 
that I was shocked at the sheer number of passages of Scripture that talk about this position of honor that Jesus inherited at the right hand of God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, for example. Here's what Paul says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, what Paul teaches is this. Is that we died with Christ. Paul says that I am crucified with Christ. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And because we spiritually died with Christ, we also rose with him. And we have ascended with him. And we are ascended with him and seated at the right hand of God the Father. And because of that spiritual position, Paul is able to say, we seek the things that are above. Because I am seated, as it were, with Christ at the right hand of God. It means that my whole perspective on life has radically changed. And so when I find myself in a severe trial, I can see things not from the human perspective, but from the perspective of eternity. That tells me this, that when I face adversity, there's more to the story than I can see. When adversity strikes, I just don't look at it from the perspective of my pain and my agenda and my cares and concerns. I have been given an eternal perspective. God is at work and he's doing something far above what I can see. Paul says, I has not seen, neither has the ear heard, nor has it entered into the thoughts of men. The things that God has prepared for those who loved him. Yet he goes on to say, by his spirit, he has revealed them to us. And because I am seated with Christ, I'm not limited to my own natural wisdom. We see this principle very much in the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is on trial before the Jewish Sanhedrin. He's being accused of blasphemy, which was punishable by death. And as he speaks to the Sanhedrin, he gives to them a comprehensive history of the redemption going all the way back to the call of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and all the way down to the coming of Christ. And then he gets himself in trouble. He tells the court, many of whom I'm sure were guilty of the death of Christ. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And that did it. They didn't wait for a vote. They didn't wait for a verdict. 
they were so enraged. They lost control and began to pick up huge stones and pelted Stephen. And as he was being hit by those stones, Stephen saw something that changed everything. It says he being full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And in the midst of this pain, he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. It was the vision of the ascended Christ that gave Stephen the perspective of eternity. And it became his focus. And it gave him the ability to see beyond the hatred of his persecutors and the pain of those stones that were being hurled at him. And then he says in verse 60, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. In other words, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Does that remind you of someone? Hebrews. Hebrews is a book that is dedicated to the inexpressible majesty of the ascended Christ. It is in Hebrews 1 that we are told that Jesus is superior to Moses. That he is superior to all the Old Testament prophets and priests. That it is even, he is even superior to all the host of angels. Because it is Jesus and Jesus alone who sits at the right hand of God the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Having made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And Hebrews 10, 12 says, when Jesus had offered once for all a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This one who was despised and rejected of men. This one who was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now occupies a place and a position where there is joy evermore. This Jesus. Who was derided and scoffed by a reprobate mob. Has come home. To sit at the right hand of God. And I love Philippians 2, where Paul says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And listen, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, 
every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that he's king of kings and Lord of lords to the glory of God the Father. Can you possibly imagine the effect that the ascension had on the disciples? Can you imagine their feelings of awe and adoration that filled their souls as the angels appeared to them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This same Jesus that you saw going will come back just as he's left. Can you imagine the impact of the ascension on heaven itself? When the gates of heaven Flung open to welcome the conquering king. It's prophesied in Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. And be ye lifted up, O ye ancient doors. That the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. So lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, you ancient doors, and the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. And can you imagine the impact on the angels who surround the throne is described in the book of Revelation in a number of places. For there it says in chapter 4 that the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I hope that we can see this morning that this teaching on the ascended Christ is not to be left to the dusty books of systematic and biblical theology. It is given to you and to me as we struggle with our own challenges and as we long to be more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I offer a challenge here as well. That this teaching has everything to do With the way that we do church. Church is the place where we come to lay down our anxieties. And to set aside all of our personal agendas. Why? For a new vision. A vision of the exalted Christ. Who is worthy of our worship. The Christ who bore all for us. And I firmly believe that the greatest need in the church today is a fresh vision of the ascended glorified king. 
a vision of our Lord Jesus Christ to transform our hearts away from dead religion to a fresh and living faith. It's what I want for myself and certainly for all of us. To know that Jesus ascended. Not to run, but to reign. And he reigns for us. And we reign with him. And that is the good news. Well, it's tempting to stop here. But there's one more issue that I believe that needs to be settled. For when we consider this powerful truth, I think it brings an equally powerful challenge. You see, it is one thing that Jesus ascended to the right hand of God. But it's quite another to consider his reign in my life, in my home. And in my business. So if we see that he is honored by the angels in heaven. If he's given this place at the right hand of God the Father. The question for us is how is he honored in your life and in mine? There's a call. A call for us to examine the honor that Christ has in Our own hearts, our own lives, and our own church. Let us bow. Our Lord, as we come and bow before you this day, we come in worship. And we do ask for a fresh vision of the ascended, glorified Christ. The King who reigns forever and ever. Not, Lord, that we might live here, leave here to be more informed, but that we might see life from the perspective of eternity. And we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.